This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh desireth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you want to do. And if you be led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. The works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. But by the grace of God, we can still benefit from the ministry and teaching of Dr. John G. Mitchell. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Jesus said to His disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. You in the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live you also will live. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 19. Dr. Mitchell examines what it means to walk and live in the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. It is again our great joy and delight to come to you. Now we're studying the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatian church. These people who had received the Savior with such joy and uh, blessing and ecstasy, and that when Paul came, they welcomed him as an angel from heaven. Now they look upon him as an enemy. Something has happened. But what has happened? Judaizers came in and set them away from the sufficiency of Christ. And we've been dealing in chapter 5 and 6 of this book, which basically has to do with sanctification of the life is by the Spirit of God. If I were teaching the book of Hebrews, I would point out that sanctification in that book is on the ground of what our Lord Jesus did at the cross of Calvary when he died to put away our sins. As he writes in chapter 10, 
by the which will, that is the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And I find, first of all, that the gospel of Christ, this message concerning the sufficiency of the work of Christ gives me liberty, liberty from sin, liberty from the world, and so on, to live for God. We've got a new motive here. We have a new life. Christ is not only for me, but Christ is in me. This is true of all Christians. Again, may I suggest to you the work of Christ for us at the cross makes us safe, and the work of Christ in us brings blessing and joy. I shall not go over the, the first 11 verse of chapter 5, which has to do with those seven things that happens when a Christian or anyone puts themselves under the law as a rule of life. As you remember, we come under bondage. The grace of God is ruined. It makes me a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is of no value to us. It destroys our hope. It hinders our progress. And it brings to an end the offense of the cross. And then starting in verses 12 to 15, the gospel, this gospel of the grace of God gives me a new motive. We serve the Lord, not because we have to, but because we love him. We have a new law in us. Divine love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit of God. And because we serve him, because we love him, this has no place for license. In fact, the grace of God is the only thing that will liberate men from sin. And it liberates us not only from sin, but to sin. But it's never satisfying to the flesh. Flesh doesn't like it. And we serve, I say, from a principle within. Again, may I remind you, our love for God is evident by obedience to his word, and our love for each other is evidenced by sacrifice. God give us people who love each other. And hence, he talks about guarding against the desires of the flesh, against pride and against selfishness, and so on. And if Christians continue to bite and devour each other, they'll soon be consumed. This was not only true in the early church, it's true today. Uh, when we have this lack of love, the one for the other, it not only is an evidence that we're no longer disciples of the Savior, but it causes us to be so critical that we begin to fight each other. Now, starting in at verse 16 and running to the end of the chapter, grace causes us to walk in the Spirit. Now we have something remarkable in these verses. And I would like to read verses 16 to 18. Verses 16 to 18 of Galatians chapter 5. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh desireth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you want to do. And if you be led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. Now here we have the fact that the grace of God causes us to walk in the Spirit. Uh, there's a continual battle. You'll notice this. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the Spirit and the flesh are contrary the one toward the other. And when I walk in the Spirit, I do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I live for the desires of the flesh, then I'm not walking in the Spirit. You can't have both. And Paul here is guarding against the flesh. You see, 
among God's people, there are two kinds of Christians. There are spiritual Christians, there are carnal Christians, that is, those who live and walk in the flesh. Now, this is two planes upon which we walk. We are either walking on a plane uh, where the Spirit of God, for the most part, dominates our lives, where the pattern of our life is to please God. The pattern of our life is to be obedient to God, to be submissive to His will. And then there are other Christians who are on a lower plane, what Paul calls a carnal plane. You remember in Corinthians chapter 3, four times in four verses, in those first four verses, four times Paul says to these Corinthian Christians, are you not carnal? Are you not carnal? And you walk as men. Now remember, they had all the gifts of the Spirit. A person can have the gifts of the Spirit and be carnal. A person can have the gifts of the Spirit and walk in the dust of the flesh. I know when I make that statement, some of you have your eyebrows raised, but my friend, it's true. There are some people who talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and that's all right. But I want to see their lives correspond with that walk in the Spirit of which they boast. It's possible, you know, for a person to have the gifts of the Spirit and still be a carnal Christian, not walking in the Spirit. And will you please notice that putting down putting down the flesh, never calls us to walk in the Spirit. It might be well for me to take a moment here to make this statement. First of all, may I suggest, this is true of every Christian. Do you have your Bibles there? In verse 18, if you be led of a spirit, you are not under the law. I'll go way down to verse 24. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If by the Spirit you live, then by the Spirit walk. It might be well for me uh, to make one or two blunt statements. And by the way, when I say that, I, I do it with a heart that wants the will of God. May I suggest to you that all believers have the Spirit of God. I'm talking about all real believers. Now, there are those who teach that you do not have the Spirit of God or that you're not baptized by the Spirit unless you have a certain experience. Now, that's not true. Everyone who really puts their trust in the, in the Son of God has the Spirit of God indwelling them. You remember in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, where Paul says, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you now. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, if I may refresh your memory, our Lord stood that last day of the feast and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, this spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive. The Spirit was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. I want this very, very clear, my friend. If you really have trusted the Savior, then I want to say that the Spirit of God indwells you. Now, it's rather remarkable, is it not, that the Corinthian church, which we mentioned a moment ago, who had all the gifts of the Spirit, in chapter 6 of that epistle, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
He speaks there of six things which the Corinthians apparently didn't know. For example, he says, Don't you know that the saints will judge angels? Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? Don't you know that certain things will prohibit you from entering into the kingdom of God? Don't you know that your body is a member of Christ? Don't you know that he who is joined to a harlot is one flesh? Don't you know that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God and you're not your own, you've been bought with a price, and because your body is the sanctuary of the Spirit of God, glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits, which are God's. You see, if a person does not have the Spirit of God indwelling them, then they don't belong to the Savior. See, when we accept the Savior, we are born of the Spirit, and that speaks of relationship to Him. That's what you have in John's Gospel, chapter 1. To as many as received Him, to them He gives the right to become the children of God, even to them that believe on His name, who are born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but who are born of God. So that when you come as a sinner and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not only the recipient of life eternal, of a divine pardon, you're not only forgiven your sins, but you become a child of the living God. You're born into the family of God. This is what our Lord means in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5, when he said, except a man be born from above, to be born of the Spirit. And First John chapter 1 says, everyone that confesseth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. One could go on into this passage, these passages of Scripture, but I want you to know that when you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God that came and indwelled you and made your body the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can see what I'm getting at when I say this. A life that is pleasing to God is the life that is yielded to the Holy Spirit who indwells you so that he lives the life that God wants you to live. You become the vehicle, the channel, the tool that he uses for the glorifying of his name and the magnifying of his person. You see, we've just been discussing in the preceding verses from verses 12 down through 15 that we have a new law. People think, well, if you put God's people under the grace of God, they'll become lawless. Oh, no. Oh, no. What I'm contending for is that when you and I accept the Savior, we are no longer uh, ever to be under the law of Moses as a rule of life. Because if you put yourself under the law of Moses, you put yourself under a curse. Now, we've, we've gone along... Uh, we spent quite a few programs on this. Uh, but again, may I suggest, the law is not a faith. And when you accept the Savior, he expects you to live the life of faith. And that is a life of fellowship with God. But how can I do it in a world that is so full of sin? How can I do it when I'm so frail? So he's put in us a new law, the law of love. That's what you have in verses 12 to 15. But even there, I find myself failing God. I want to love, and I find that I can't. In fact, I've had people say, you know, I love you, but I don't like you. Well, now that's, that you're just playing with words. My friends, you may, you may not like some of the things we do. That may be true. So don't excuse yourself by saying, well, I, I love you, but I don't like you. And you take that attitude 
uh, I won't have a thing to do with you. That isn't real, genuine love. And I want to say here today that God has made the full provision whereby you and I can so walk before God. It will be pleasing to him, honoring to him, and a blessing to others. If you don't believe that God won't do it, I will remind you of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think, according to the power that worketh in you. And what is this power that works in us? As Paul could say, I strive according to the working of him who worketh in me mightily. Why? It's the Spirit of God who comes to live in you. Now, every believer is born of the Spirit. Every believer is indwelt by the Spirit. Every believer is baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. That speaks of union with Him. And every believer is sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. <coughs> but now the question is, that's the issue, the exhortation is, walk in the Spirit, walk by means of the Spirit. Or as verse 25 says, if by the Spirit you live, then by the Spirit walk. Again, I repeat to you that the Christian life is a supernatural life. And the flesh cannot live such a life. And the wonderful grace of God causes us to walk in the Spirit, the Spirit now governing the life of the believer. And as I said in the preceding lesson, putting down the flesh will not cause you to walk in the Spirit. It's not the eradication of the old, but being victorious over the flesh by the Spirit. And in the measure we yield to the Spirit, and in that measure we find deliverance by the Spirit. Again, allow me to quote that Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you, because you are no longer under the law, but you're under grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, We all with open face, beholding as in a glass, a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are being changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I repeat it, putting down the flesh, setting your jaw, and deciding to get rid of those bad habits of yours is going to cause you to walk in the Spirit. No, you better the flesh, but you're not walking in the Spirit. The flesh is always flesh. It can be good flesh, religious flesh, bad flesh, sinful flesh, so on. No, it's a question of yielding ourselves to the one who indwells us. Allow me to use an illustration from the Gospel through John, chapter 3. You remember John the Baptist had been baptizing a great many people in the river Jordan. And then our Lord came on the scene, and John goes off the scene. And these dear Jews wanted John to get occupied with himself. And if I may read from John's Gospel, chapter 3, uh, they came to John and they said, Rabbi, he that was with ye beyond Jordan, to whom you bear witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all come unto him. You know what they're really saying to John is, is John, you better look out for your reputation. The one you introduced as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, he's become the center of the people. John, you're losing your crowds, and they're trying to get John jealous and envious of Jesus. And John, I love John's answer. He said, a man can receive nothing 
except it be given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is filled for. Now mark the 30th verse. He must increase. Jesus Christ must increase, but I must decrease. Don't you love John? In chapter 1, in verse 35 on, he said to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. And John lost his disciples. I wish, and I, I can digress here for a second, I wish we preachers were like John. You know, we're so concerned about getting crowds and getting more than the other fellow and seeing what the other fellow's doing. And, and it's, a, it's a bad thing, you know. I heard a preacher one time in my own presence, sitting right next to me at a lunch one time, said, he questioned somebody who had talked about others being saved in this other man's meeting. And he said, well, I question whether they were really saved because they weren't saved in my meetings. What a ridiculous, what a, uh, what a small spirit. Oh, John said, I'm not worried about crowds as long as Jesus Christ is magnified. What is the difference as long people are drawn to him? And if the other man can draw more to Christ than you or I, then praise the Lord. Is it wonderful to know that people are being brought to the Savior irrespective of the channel? I, I say I like John the Baptist. I don't like Paul here when he said, uh, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He must increase and I must get out of the way. You know, if you put the Lord as the center of your heart's affection, you'll have no trouble walking in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. It's not something you strive for. You just yield yourself to the Lord and let the Spirit do the job. We confess our frailty. We confess our helplessness. We confess that we can't do anything in our own power, in our own strength. No, nobody's flesh can produce spiritual realities, but the Spirit of God can. And I repeat it, when you and I accepted the Savior, the Spirit of God came to indwell us. And not only so, as we had in the preceding verses, where we read the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which was given unto us, a divine love, which can be evident in a Christian's life as he walks in the Spirit. And remember, there's a battle going on between the flesh and the Spirit. But I want this upon your heart today. Walk in the Spirit. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, yield yourself to the Lord. If there's something between you and the Lord, confess that sin. In 1 John 1, 9, he tells me, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. This is true for you, Christian. This is the provision God has made for you to be a Spirit-filled Christian, to walk in the Spirit. And to walk in the Spirit is to walk in fellowship with God. You say, well, will I be doing some spectacular thing? No, you'll just wash your dishes and work in the office and do your job with your heart in fellowship with Christ. He takes care of the rest of it. This is our problem, you know. We want to help God out. And God doesn't need your help. Did you hear me? God doesn't need your help. He wants to do the job. If you'll only let him, if you'll only get out of the way, 
and let him take your personality and take your hands and take your feet and take your body and take your voice, take you, all that you are, and let him run the ship. Let him run the house. Let him run your life. It's a spiritual life, my friend. It's not getting things from God or doing something. It's a question of a life yielded to him. I, I, wish, I wish we would not trip over the simplicity of it. You say, well, Mr. Mitchell, if I were walking in the Spirit, if I were a Spirit-filled believer, my, what I wouldn't do. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. The Spirit of God would do it. You can't do anything. All he wants is a tool. He wants a channel so that he can express himself through you and through me. So you can live a normal life in your family, in your home, in your office, in your shop, with your neighbors, wherever you are, but always evidencing by your words and by your works and by your acts, actions that you love the Savior and you want him to be magnified in your life. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Get occupied with him. As I've oftentimes said, get your eye on Christ, and you needn't worry where your feet will go. Your feet will track right. Now be occupied with Christ today. This is the life of joy and blessing and usefulness. So I repeat with the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And the Lord bless you today for His wonderful name's sake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at